Good afternoon and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to live from your true self through all of life's twists and turns. And you'll be challenged to lean into the mysteries of life to find your own deepest wisdom. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Well, you know, when life events, difficult circumstances, and relationships come our way, we tend to get all caught up in what's going to happen next, what strategy we can use to make it turn out the way we want to. To do any less than that, it seems, would be to lay down and let life roll over us. But there is a way to be fully involved, yet fully surrendered to a deeper, more authentic process that's happening always throughout all of our life events, circumstances, and relationships. We can learn to trust that process. That's what this show is going to be all about, so stay here for it. So what do I mean by trust, and what do I mean by process? Well, in order for us to trust anything, we have to have experienced it to some degree. It has to earn our trust to some degree, and what that means is we either have to know already that there is a process that can be trusted and then begin to be able to allow ourselves to trust it, or we have to learn that there is such a process and begin to trust it, and most of us do it. In the latter fashion, we learn that there's a process, and we learn that by looking back over our life events and seeing how things were really sort of wise in their structure, that they under, that it seems that there was an overriding intelligence that was maybe even a guiding hand, or maybe that we learned so much from the difficulties or the bad relationships or the uh, uh, meanness or harmfulness of someone else that we that we uh, gained so much that we we knew that there was some kind of process going on that was within us, a transformative process that uh, made us different at the end of the experience. So um, most of us learn it that way by looking back over life's events, but some of us are lucky enough to grow up in environments where we are taught that there is such a process and that we can trust it. And so we grow up knowing that there is such a process. There are some religions that teach that, that um, that there are there is a process going on within us always to transform us and grow us. Um, Some of the Eastern religions, particularly those who uh, uh, espouse uh, reincarnation and karma, talk about getting off the wheel of samsara and uh, you know into another place of nirvana. And what they're talking about is actually a process. And it's an internal process in which we grow from one lifetime to another. Um, There are variant definitions of karma, and I'm going to give you the definition that I use uh, and will use for the show. It is uh, the intention. It's our own deepest self's intention to grow into who we actually are. And I would go so far as to say it's even divine intention to grow us into who we actually are. So whether you see self as divine or whether you see self as an external being, it is divine intent to grow us. And so some people see karma, and you've heard me talk about this before on other shows, some people see karma as bad or good. And that keeps it stuck in duality thinking, which is, um, as we shall see and have seen in several other episodes of this show, Um, an invalid structure, construct that we have uh, sort of made up 
to say that everything is divided into polarities. So there's good and there's evil, there's light and there's dark, there's day and there's night, there's, you know, and everything is divided typically along some lines of good and e- good and bad, you know, even taste, even food, even, um, you know, life events. It's a good event or it's a bad event, and uh, or, or it can be it be morally good or morally bad. So. Um, we have divided life up in that way, and so we tend to think in, of karma in that way as well. So karma is a reward for things done well in a, another life or a punishment for things done badly in another life. Uh, from that perspective, from the dualistic perspective, that's the only thing that karma does. But when we look back at the ancient sacred texts of these of some of these religions, what we see is a much deeper meaning for karma, and it is an intention to transform us as we grow through different incarnations. And so uh, it, that's also found in the, the uh, root language of the uh, Gospels when Jesus is talking about what he calls, what has been translated to mean the kingdom of heaven. And what we learn when we look at that root language is that that is not a place that we go to after we die. Rather, it's not a place at all. Rather, it is a, it is a process and it is an eternal and uh, um, constant process that goes on uh, throughout our life. And, and, and uh, if you believed in other lives, then throughout all of our lives to transform us into who we are. And actually hell, what is referred to as hell or translated as hell, uh, is actually a part of the process that is called the kingdom of heaven. In other words, even the difficult experiences we have in our lives, even the hellish gnashing of teeth experiences that we have in our lives are part of that transformative process. Um, I wrote some about that in Inhabiting Heaven Now, if you want to check that out in the book that I've I've looked uh, specifically at the root language there, so you can find that in that book. Um, and uh, and it really does authenticate that whole idea that we're being taught that there is a process that's going on. But most of us don't have to have a sacred text to experience it. Most of us experience it, if we do experience it, as a part of our life experience. When we look back over our life events and say, hey, I grew wiser, or I was transformed, or I can see the, how the dots connected here, and I can see how there was some kind of either guiding hand or wisdom in this whole process. And uh, so, uh, so that's what we want to talk about today, that, that process that is a transformative process. Uh, the process's intent, as I said, is to bring us to our deepest, most essential self. And what is that? Well, that is not that thing we, that I refer to as identity, um, it is not a mask and costume that we put on to please a social ethic. It is not what is classically referred to as self-esteem. Um, there's, you know, there's been a lot of research recently that's proven that self-esteem is not the good, great, wonderful thing that we think it is in North America. Um, other religions and other countries don't look at it the way we do. We look at it as, as a way of measuring our worth, that our self-esteem tells us that we're worthy because we've measured up to some kind of standard. Of course, the standard is made up, and it's usually based in that dualistic design that I talked about earlier that said that 
there's a good and a bad. And if you measure up to the good standard, then you can have good self-esteem. And if you don't measure up to the good standard, then you feel worthless and you might do bad things. At least that's what's been taught. Um, In fact, the research of recent years seems to be showing that... um, that more that looks quote unquote evil is done in the pursuit of self-esteem. In other words, I've got to prove myself worthy. Therefore, I'm going to go do these things and, and I'm going to take advantage of other people and I'm going to step on people and I'm not going to look back over the bodies I'm stepping over uh, to get where I get because I've got to get there to prove that I'm worthy. Um, so that's one example of how that might work. Um, we see, we see, we might see some of that operating in our political world at this moment uh, as well, where where narcissism seems to be a big deal that we're talking about quite a bit, and that's based in a sense of unworthiness that has to prove itself worthy. Um, and so, our pursuit of self-esteem may be bigger, a bigger problem than we know. But I'm not talking about that kind of self self that tries to please a social ethic in order to be approved of. I'm, I'm talking about a deeper, more essential, authentic self that's not interested in whether or not the society approves of it, but rather interested in actually being the self. Interestingly enough, our, the ancient Hebrew names in the, uh, the Jewish Tanakh and the Old Testament of the Christian Bible um, talk about, uh, and I'm bringing that up because this, the problem area in talking about this is in the Western motif. So I'm bringing up Western religion so that we can talk about, uh, sort of argue the premise of, of what is true and false about this process. Um, the idea is that, uh, th- that the name Jehovah means the existing one, means to be. Um, and it is that same phrase that's used as uh, that I am that I am. That idea is that... It, 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 comes at with a deeper base, a root base, that is based in, des- in the word desire. So actually the word God, the word that we think of Jehovah and the Western idea of God, is actually to be, to desire to be. Uh, and uh, so we might think of that as the ultimate in God, the ultimate in divinity might be the desire to be. And that's why I can use very easily the same language that the Bhagavad Gita uses when I think about the divine. I can call it divine self, which is what the Bhagavad Gita calls it. Um, that is uh, uh, the deeper self of who we are, our deeper soul, if you will, our deeper spirit, if you will, or the divine self. Um, so that's, that deeper nature is what we're talking about when we're talking about where we're going with this process. It is meant to carry us to the deepest, most essential element of who we are. And once we've sort of touched the hem of that garment, it changes us. We begin to understand that there really is a deeper essence to us uh, uh, that isn't based in what other people think of us or, you know, how we need to uh, make sure that we do what society says we ought to do. Uh, of course, I'm not advocating for any kind of just outright rebellion against society, but what I am advocating for is a yes to the deeper self, not a no to society, but a yes to the deeper self. So when we talk about um, uh, the process, we're trusting that process, what we come to understand is that the self is a very active energy 
inside of us that is always trying to get us to see and to be what it desires for us to be. Um, It desires that we become us, and it is always working toward that goal. And so we might find ourselves attracted to persons, places, events, circumstances, and things that help us ultimately to become more fully aware of who we are. Those circumstances, people, places, events, relationships, and things might be what we would classify as good things, or they might be what we would classify as bad things, but actually they are just things, and they are things that the self, the deeper essential core self, uh, might be attracted to because it knows that this is a thing that will help us to come to understand who we are. So... Why do we miss signals and signs, for example, in in uh, a dynamic? You know, um, I remember that I had a boss one time that I felt was a very kind and wise person when I first met him. Turned out he was a sociopath, um, and and uh, that you know that was a, a dangerous kind of uh, person, but. Uh, I didn't know that at first. I couldn't see that at first. And you could say, well, he was trying to hide that from me. Well, yeah, I would would not doubt that. But on the other hand, um, I missed it. And yet that experience in my life turned out to be one of my most uh, profound, life-changing experiences that helped me grow tremendously. And I'm very grateful to this day to that person because I know that that person helped me to grow. Uh, exponentially into who I am today and uh, you know so we can look back at things like that we can look back at abusive situations we can look back at at times when we were victimized by other people we can look back at um, circumstances like those and say well those were terrible awful no good circumstances and yet they changed us they made us different so what made us get involved in those things now we we might not be able to answer that mysterious question with finality and I don't think we need to answer all the mysterious questions with finality, but we, we, we do see the demarcation line in the sand that kind of says, oh, this is how I transformed. This is how I grew. And, and so that piece we can definitely get. And, um, and so it's important for us to be able to understand that there is actually that process. So the process is ongoing. It's eternal. It's uh, it, it continues to push and push and push until we become more and more and more aware. And it, I believe it does that over many lifetimes, not just one lifetime. I think, you know, I, I would have to be scratching my head and disbelieving the process if I thought that a person had got only one shot at it. And uh, that would be very difficult for me. Um, and I've seen so much evidence in my own life and in the material that I've read about reincarnation and in the material that I read from the texts of the of the sacred texts of the world, including the uh, the root language of the Gospels, where Jesus actually does encounter uh, and answer a question about reincarnation, um, where that that make me believe that's true. You don't have to agree with that. Uh, you may have a different belief system, and that's entirely okay. But I do believe that the process that we're going through is one in where in which we gain more and more information about who we actually are. And that will mean that we have to overcome duality. 
So what do I mean by overcoming? I don't mean we just toss it out. I mean, because we're going to continue to encounter it as long as we're on planet Earth, at least until planet Earth also transforms. But, but I do mean that we have to use duality to grow into oneness instead of believing that duality is the only reality. So uh, we're here, we're in, a, in this uh, world where people tend to split off into good and bad, right and wrong, um, true or false, uh, uh, light and dark. Uh, we just had an incident the other day on Monday with the solar eclipse. And those of you who experienced the totality uh, very were often described it as a transcendent experience. And what was interesting about that is it was a combination of both light and dark. And I, I find that fascinating, especially given the particular time of our country right now that we're in where we are experiencing both the light of America and the darkness of America, where we're beginning to look at the shadow material of the genocide that is our birth um, uh, when we killed millions of, of Native Americans to take over this country. Um, and we called them savages, and we said we, that their religion was of the devil, and we, took, we decided that they couldn't have their religion, and if they were going to live at all, they had to accept our religion. Um, there were even laws put on the books that said that if they were of that religion, they couldn't have land, things like that. So we've got some real dark shadow material that we're looking at. Uh, we're also looking at the Confederate monuments now and um, the glorifying of slavery and what that means. And, uh, you know, so we're looking at a lot of really dark historical material and at the same time asking ourselves if we want to maintain that, if we want to honor that or if we want to or ignore that continue to ignore that or do we want to bring that out into our conscious awareness and own it and make it a part of who we who can who we can become and i think that's really important given that this solar eclipse did the same thing it darkened the sun and then the sun came out the other side in a, 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 a light again so i like to think of it as a new light but it, uh, you might not want to use that metaphor since it's not scientifically accurate but I, I, I do think this thing of good and bad has to be looked at if we're going to learn to trust the process because we tend to think in terms of good and bad when it comes to our, the life events that we have in our experience. So we, we've talked about that a little bit now, and we're going to talk about that some more when we come back from the break. We'll be right back after these messages. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. I'm busy and so is my family. Leftover pizza and unhealthy takeout isn't really doing it for us anymore. Just ask my bathroom scale. That all changed when I found Freshly. For less than $10 a meal, Freshly delivers six meals a week, always fresh, never frozen, prepared by top chefs and nutritionists using the best, freshest, gluten-free ingredients. The best part is the menu is always new and fresh, just like the food, and it only takes three minutes for me to prepare breakfast, lunch, or dinner, and there's no messy cleanup and no dishes. 
My family loves the choices and the taste and freshly delivers to my home and my office so I eat healthy all day every day. If you're tired of the same old cardboard delivery and takeout, try out Freshly.com today and save $20 on your first order using coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. Your taste buds and your scale will thank you. So save $20 today with coupon code VAE639 at Freshly.com. We all have unique experiences and outlooks when it comes to leadership and team building. Yet sometimes we clash, even when trying to achieve the exact same goals. Check out Unleash Your Inner Goldilocks, How to Get It Just Right. Your host is Dr. Cass Henry. A shared journey equals success, and every human interaction has the power to achieve this success by working together. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free, 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You can also send your questions or comments by email to andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back talking today about the process, uh, trusting the process, and we're going to talk some more about that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to introduce you to the next Super Soul Sunday coming up this Sunday. I'm excited about it. It's going to be August the 27th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Network. Oprah Winfrey sits down with New York Times bestselling author Mitch Album to celebrate the 20th anniversary of one of the best-selling memoirs of all time, Tuesdays with Maury and to talk about the ways the story continues to be meaningful. After starting his career as an accomplished sports writer, Mitch reconnected many years later with his college professor and mentor, Maury Schwartz, in the last months of Maury's battle with Lou Gehrig's disease. What started off as visits to provide comfort to his college professor during his final stages of life turned into discussions about life's greatest lessons. Maury shares with Oprah the meaning behind Maury's teachings. Here's a clip from that show. Why do you think the book continues to resonate? Well, it's a story about a young man who's kind of lost and an old man who's dying who takes him in and and teaches him a last class on what's important in life. I think, number one, everybody has had a teacher in their life at some point who's made a difference. Number two, everybody's felt a little lost in their life. And number three, everybody's going to die. And I think those three elements, now that I've had 20 years to sort of reflect on it, uh, are probably what makes it universal in why people can read it in Thailand or Japan or Australia the same way that they read it here. It wasn't me. It was what Maury said and what Maury did that became a, an embrace lesson. And I think it's also because you were a student. You were a student. We've all had that moment where you really are connected to someone and you say, I'm going to stay in touch mm. and then life happens and you don't. Yeah. And had it not been for you seeing him on Nightline Nightline with Ted Koppel, you could have been any place else. That's why I believe in, you know, signs, divine order, providence. Yeah, you're flipping through the channel and you see him, that's your old teacher, 
you make a decision to go back and visit him. Well, you're giving me too much credit. I made a decision to make a phone call. Mm -hmm. He made the decision to have me come back and see him because when the, uh, when I was in college, I used to call him coach, uh, you know, sports affectation. I coach whatever. Mm -hmm. I, and I think I had forgotten about that. And when I dialed his number just to have one phone call to ease my conscience, the first thing he said to me was, how come you didn't call me coach? Excellent. I can't wait to see that, and I hope you'll be there for it, too, this Sunday, August 27th at 11 a.m. Eastern and Pacific on OWN, the Oprah Winfrey Net Footwork. And if you don't know where that is on your TV, you can go to OWN on uh, Google, put OWN into Google, and you can find out what channel you're, uh, where you are uh, does the Oprah Winfrey Network. So, okay, so today we're talking about trusting the process, and what we've said thus far is that there is a process and that it, what the process is intending to do within us is bring us to awareness of who we actually are as authentic beings. It brings us to our own deeper desire to be who we are, and then it brings us to manifestation of that. So so we, we have to understand that there is that person in us, and that's sort of a given here that we're talking about, that, that, that there is somebody within us that's very genuine and very real. And for some of us, it's really hard for that for us to believe that, for us to believe that there actually is somebody else inside of me that um, is genuine and real. And even though I know that the person I'm being might be fake, I'm, I might know that, and yet it's still very difficult for me to believe that there's somebody at home in there who's really real. And one of the ways we can begin to access that and understand that and, and that's part of what this show is all about, is to open up the, the doors and windows in your house of, of living to enable the process, enable you to begin to understand that there actually is a process that's going on within you that helps you to become more authentic. And uh, so one of the ways to do that is to begin to hear the arguments inside yourself. Um, we tend to think those arguments should be resolved into something, you know, we can just stick on one side or the other. And that's part of our dualistic thinking that says if I if I can just, you know, uh, be good or be bad, you know, make a good decision or make a bad decision or just make a decision, I just need to make a decision about who I am and what I'm doing here, then everything will be okay. So we want to, we sort of polarize that and we say to ourselves, well, there's a good way to, there's a good decision to make here or there's a bad decision to make here and I've got to decide on the on the good decision in order to be considered to be a good person otherwise I'll have to consider myself to be a bad person and of course we know there are people who do say own it they will say I'm just a bad person I'm just that's just who I am you know me you know that this is what I'm capable of they will very commonly say that but what we don't know is whether or not that's an identity and I would tell you that it is um, but no, we, we've talked about that in another show, so I'm not going to go back into a lot of depth about that right now. What I what I do want to say is that um, is that when we when we begin the process of awakening to our authenticity, what begins to happen is we feel the inner conflict. We we uh, feel one feeling. And then we also feel another feeling, or we feel one feeling, and we have a very different thought. Um, and one of those is going to resonate with us on a deeper level. Uh, or maybe a couple of them will resonate with us on a deeper level. But those are the ones that are genuine. 
the ones that don't so much resonate with us that uh, they may cause some emotions to happen, but the emotions don't really resonate deep within us. If we go beyond the first emotion and try to feel what's under it, uh, we don't feel that same feeling. So what that means, now I just described going under a feeling, so what that means is that we have to be willing to sit with a feeling and to uh, and to sort of uh, see, explore around it, explore it and explore around it to see what's there. And that process uh, requires being able to just be still for a little while and allow ourselves to 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 be mindful about what is going on inside of us. And I don't even like the term mindful because it implies that we're being intellectual about what's going on inside us. I prefer the term I prefer the term sit with because it means that I'm actually just going to sit there and be with whatever comes up. I'm going to be present with whatever comes up into my mind. And if that's an emotion then I'm not going to try to label that emotion as good or bad. I'm just going to be with it. I'm going to explore it. Um, and sit with it and see what's under it and over it and around it and through it and I'm just going to be with it and so it's going to begin to speak to me and it won't use words necessarily although it might um, but it will it, it, it will begin to express it will begin to tell me what it's all about and why it's there what is what's going on with that and that process enables us to get closer to what really resonates as truth within us and that is the way that the inner way to find truth. We find truth by by uh, uh, seeing what really resonates deep inside of us with our roots, so to speak. And uh, and that that being able to resonate is with something is a way of saying, yeah, that feels really genuine to me. That feels really real to me. Now. I get it that there are people out there who are going to say, well, that's just ridiculous. Why would, why would that be the only way of finding truth? Certainly we can find through truth through scientific method. And, um, you know, uh, uh, and so I, and I agree with that. I think research is great. I'm all for it. I think that we need to use it very often and, and as much as possible. But it is difficult for us to do scientific empirical research in an area where there are no empirical facts. There, this is not this is not an area that we can use our five senses for. This is an area we have to use our sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, and eleventh and twelfth senses for. Um, And so it 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 means that sitting with and being quiet and just listening to what comes up inside of us or seeing what comes up inside of us um, is how we will begin to push a little bit on recognition so that we begin to recognize the authentic self and or the process that's occurring toward the authentic self within us. And so uh, um, it enables us further to trust that process because what begins to happen is we begin to understand that things are going on inside of us that we have not been conscious of. So there's something going on all the time inside of us. It's a little bit like a river under a city. All kinds of things are going on in that river and nobody on the, on the sidewalk knows about it. Uh, and I hear all these stories uh, about rivers under cities sometimes, about the stories of people who live down in the rivers under the cities and 
and uh, uh, what they're like and what those people are like. And, you know, we, we uh, the Hobbit and the stories about that are all about the Middle Earth and uh, the Lower Earth. And uh, that, that idea is really interesting when you compare it to our psychology because what it what they tend to be indicating is that there is there is a way of living that can incorporate both the the lower world of of our deepest essential core self and the 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 conscious societal world in which we have to interact with others and we have to interact with the society that doesn't necessarily agree with what we would uh, find to be truth in that lower, uh, deeper, more essential self. So how do we negotiate that? And I, I would think of that sort of as a Middle Earth kind of thing, uh, not necessarily in all of its ramifications as it was written about, but but in the idea essentially of it being a middle place. Uh, and so... So that that is what we can come to live as. We can come to be a person who lives authentically, but who also knows knows how to negotiate with the external world in some real practical terms. And what I think that means, and I think Carl Jung would have agreed with this, is that we we uh, marry the masculine and the feminine together within us. So the feminine part of us is the internal world. And the masculine, a healthy masculine, knows how to carry what's found in the internal world out into the external world to manifest it. And the masculine would also, in that case, in a healthy case, know how to protect and shield the inner world from too much overexposure to the external world. So that's, it would, it might put on a persona and say, you know, and a persona I think is different from an identity and a persona we know we we know that we're living into a role. So, for example, when I go to the office, I'm wearing my professional persona. I'm not going to reveal much about my private life. I'm not going to um, talk much about myself. I'm going only going to uh, be there for my clients and be present with them. And so that's my professional persona. But what if I wore that same persona when I got home, <laughs> my partner would kick me out on my ear. So. Uh, the idea is that uh, we we need to be able to uh, to to wear that persona to sort of protect what's private and what's uh, what's too vulnerable to be exposed to the uh, to the wild and woolly forces of the external world. So uh, that's what the masculine can do for us. The feminine wants to just uh, re- be present with what's inside and reveal it and bring it to the surface, sort of like. You would plant a seed and grow crops, and uh, you can actually eat those crops. Um, it, it, that's what the feminine does. So, uh, so if we combine the two, then we know to bring up what's inside of us, and then manifest it in the external world, and and that that's a really healthy process. Uh, but in the Western world, those two processes have been split off from each other. The feminine and the masculine operate very separately. In fact, we live in a very masculinized uh, external world. And I think that's one of the processes that's going on right now uh, politically and socially in our world is that we're beginning to see how deep the resistance toward our own feminine side goes. And by that, I don't mean necessarily just female, 
um, in terms of gender, I mean the feminine archetype, which is what I just described as the inner world. And uh, that we have such a a deep resistance to that. And uh, so we're seeing that resistance in our public view. And we have seen how marauding and, and authoritarian the cutoff, split-off masculine can be. So the split-off masculine operates without, without contacting the inner world. It operates out of an uh, 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 impulse that comes maybe from survival and from uh, emotions that are related to an identity. And the identity is formed out of wanting to please the external world. So... Um, these are uh, so that what the masculine that's cut off from the inner world does is it it is aggressive it is um, authoritarian it is um, shut off from the feelings of the deeper feelings of, uh, of uh, empathy and understanding of the other man it's it and, and it wants to control it wants to dominate and so that's how that that's not because it's masculine it's because it's masculine and cut off from the feminine. On the other hand, the feminine, if it's too much in, if we have too much feminine and it's cut off from the masculine, then it can't reveal itself to itself. In other words, we can't know what goes on in the inner world. We can't understand that. We don't get the creativity that comes from that. We don't get to plant the seed that grows a crop we can eat. Um, we and 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 what ha- can happen with that is neurosis and psychosis. We, um, we can also be overly identified with the internal world, so we don't see the external world at all. And then, for sure, there we're we're, at, we're looking at the possibility of neurosis and psychosis. So, um, uh, so they're split when they're split off from each other. It, it's not healthy, and that's what's happened in our so in the Western archetype, the Western world, is that we have split off the masculine from the feminine so that we don't know what we feel we don't know who we are we don't know uh, what the deeper self would would want to guide us to do we don't ask those questions we just operate from the identity which the identity is formulated out of i've got to please the inner world i'm the external world so i'm going to wear this mask and costume that pleases the external world or performs according to the the uh, projections that I've interjected from the external world, and that's how I'm going to operate. And so that's what we're doing, and that's why we see such aggressiveness, such violence, such uh, kind of insanity right now, really chaos going on. And, uh, and, and, and it's a time, you know, order comes from chaos, so every time we are in this process of chaos, we are also in a process by which we're going to uh, understand the deeper element of who we are. So uh, even the worst times like these can get us to a new place. And I think we're, we're in a pendulum swing now to where we're beginning to be willing to look at the feminine and uh, see what that would be like to, to live our lives in touch with the feminine. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about uh, this process and what that means in terms of the feminine and the masculine. We're going to talk some more right after this break, so stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages.
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Life is complicated and sometimes we all need a little help, but don't have the time for a full hour-long session or don't know who to turn to. That's where BetterHelp comes into play. With BetterHelp, I can get matched with one of over 2,500 licensed and approved counselors and therapists and get help anytime, anywhere, totally private. For a flat weekly fee starting at $35, I can connect with my counselor via text, chat, video conference, or phone, which is great for me because I'm always on the go. And I can go back to previous sessions whenever I want through my secure account from anywhere in the world. It's a great feeling to know that help is there, affordable, private, and convenient to my schedule. We can all use a little help. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash empowerment and register for free. Try it for seven days without being charged on your credit card and get matched with a licensed counselor usually within 24 hours. Get better help today at betterhelp.com forward slash empowerment. The human body has different levels of interaction and communications, both at an energetic and informational level. Understand the healing potential and the intelligence hidden within these communications when you tune in to Human Potential and Life Force with Dr. Sun. Are health conditions preventing you from achieving effective potential? Can Life Force, also known as Qi, help your quality of life, relationships, and creativity? Find the answers every Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now toll-free 1-888-346-9141 That's 1-888-346-9141 you can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about trusting the process. And what we've said is that the process is a process of transformation that is always ongoing inside of us at all times. And it is a very active, authentic self that is pushing that process within us that wants us to get to know who we are as an authentic self. So the self is very often pushed down into the unconscious, but but it's still active in there. And so we have to run into things external to us that will wake us up to what's going on internally. And that's how our life circumstances uh, can be very useful in waking us up. So the external cannot really exist without the internal, and the internal cannot really exist without the external. But we don't know that, and we've split them off so that one's operating consciously and the other's operating unconsciously. And even when it's conscious, it's not really conscious because it doesn't, it's missing its other half, which is the unconscious. So it's, it, it's not really a fully awake to what is going on necessarily, and that's why we have to wake up to it. So very commonly I see people, for example, get involved in, in relationships that are very much like the relationships they experience with their parents. Now, people will say, well, you know, you marry your mother, you marry your father. I don't think you marry a specific gender. I think you marry unresolved issues. I think you marry uh, whatever you have not resolved in your life. And what happens is we get really attracted to somebody, and we don't know at the time that we're attracted to them that they carry the same exact 
metaphorically or in the real, the same exact uh, personality traits or uh, issues that our parents had. And so that we're going to be drawn right back into the same exact kind of dynamic that is unresolved with our parents. Now, whatever we have already resolved, well, that's not going to appear again in the relationship. But what has not been resolved will appear in the relationship. So, um, so for example, uh, a person who had a very cold father or a very cold mother might marry a very cold spouse and, uh, and, and have to work through that again with that, uh, with that spouse. And they're now an adult, so now they can put some you know, thought into it and they can understand it from the perspective of, you know, of an adult rather than a, that of a child. So what a child tends to do is interject that and assume that it must be me. I'm, I'm the child and my parent who is like a god to me and can do no wrong, when I'm, especially when I'm a little bitty, uh, is going to, you know, they're not going to do it wrong. I must be doing something wrong. They're cold to me because I must be unworthy. I must be not good enough. So what am I going to play out with this uh, spouse is I'm going to be uh, playing that same dynamic out. And I'm going to be saying, I've got to be better. I've got to be more loving. I've got to be more kind. I've got to be you know, more generous, I've got to be just better, more patient, um, I'll be, I'll do all that work, and uh, my spouse uh, will get, you know, they will change, they will be warmer to me, because I will have earned it, I will have been good enough now to measure up to it, and of course, what happens, since they're very similar to the parent that was cold in the first place, is that they're not going to change, they're not going to get warmer just because you're trying to be warmer. They're not going to get more open just because you're being more open. They're not going to do that because they you married a person who uses coldness as their way of coping, and they're not going to change that because you need them to. They're only going to change that when they need to do that. People change when they get in enough pain to look in the mirror at themselves, stop blaming the world, and look in the mirror at themselves and say, oh, my God, it's me. i got to change. i got to do something different. So... So in, in this relationship, uh, one spouse is trying to get the other spouse to be more loving. And the other spouse can't do it because to do that would be too risky because that means taking off the mask and costume they're using to survive. So they're not going to do it. So what happens is eventually the spouse who's trying to bargain with getting love is ultimately going to have to say, you know what, I don't think the problem's me. I don't think it's me. You know, I'm not going to blame my spouse. I'm not going to, you know, say what a horrible person he is or she is. But rather what I'm going to do is admit that I can't get this other person to love me because they don't know how to love or they have a wall built up around them because it makes them feel safe or whatever. Whatever their reason is, it's theirs. I can't get blood out of this turnip. As I grew up, my mother used to say, can't get blood out of a turnip. Can't get blood out of a turnip. You can't get blood out of a rock, and and so when that person, we begin to realize that oh, you know, I've been trying to change me and and get. I've been trying to change you by changing me. Well, really, what I need to do is accept you. This is who you are. This is what you've got to do. It's what you're doing right now. Maybe it's not who you authentically are, but it's what you're doing right now. And you're not going to stop because I want you to. I've tried. You're not going to stop. So maybe I need to move on to a relationship where I can get real love and because I'm in love with somebody who knows how to love. Um, so you showed me who you were 
and I didn't believe you. I thought you were somebody else. I thought you were going to be somebody I could change into someone who would love me. And the reason that happened is not because I thought I could change you. It happened because you're just like the old dad or mom who, who didn't know how to love either, who couldn't let down their wall either for whatever reason. And so uh, I've now the tr- what's transformed in it within me is that I've stopped having low self-esteem to the, the low self-worth to the degree that I now understand that it wasn't true that my father or my mother didn't love me because I was unlovable. What was true was they didn't love me because they didn't love. That's not what they did. And so I begin to understand. I begin to grow. I begin to change now. And I begin to decide that I'm not going to be involved with people who don't know how to love. And and what's happened is I've be, I've taken that shift in consciousness into my very soul. It's not an intellectual shift. It's 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 my uh, deep uh, shift that's taken place because I. Uh, have paid attention to what's going on in my feeling world. I see how much it hurts to be lo- to love somebody so much who can't love you back. I feel the frustration of that. I understand it. I've lived it. I've experienced it. I've gone all the way through that, and now I understand on a deep, personal, intimate level that this is not something that I'm willing to repeat in my life, and I've changed because of that. Now, if I went through that in an intellectual way, then it would not have the same effect. But it's hard for us to go through those kind of deep emotional experiences in an intellectual way unless we are that cold person, unless we are that person who's just not going to let themselves feel. So um, it's possible to do that, but that's not the kind of thing I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person, the child who grew up with cold parents. So. That process is one in which we have an unresolved issue presented to us, and what happened is the authentic self said, hey, there's an issue here that's blocking you from real, true self-love. It's blocking you from self-awareness. It's blocking you from a fulfilling life. It's blocking you from a satisfying, open, loving relationship. There's all kind of blocks in there. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to get attracted to someone just like dear old dad or dear old mom, and then we're going to grow because of that. And the process takes whatever time it takes. Might be 10 years, might be 20 years. I'm out there bargaining, trying to get somebody to love me, trying to get somebody to love me. I literally have had people come into my office and have been in a relationship with a very unloving spouse for 20 years and finally just get fed up and say, I just can't do this anymore. And sometimes they have to walk through that process in therapy and see that the problem isn't really them. The problem is that they have, again, uh, tried to bargain with someone who just won't move, won't change, won't budge. So uh, looking at that is just one of the ways we can begin to see how people evolve through their lifetimes by encountering the stuff that's not finished yet in their psyches. And, and that, that process is always ongoing within us. So everything we encounter brings us an opportunity to either encounter something that's unresolved in this lifetime or perhaps in another lifetime, or it, it gives us an opportunity to grow beyond something that's in, it, that's in the past so that we are now walking on entirely new territory. Now we're into a uh, place in life where we don't, we haven't experienced, this is not something from our childhood, this is a new area, and even that can be very frightening and 
difficult and anxiety-provoking because it's new, because it's not familiar. Um, I've had literally had people come in and, and they've, they've met someone who is uh, very, uh, very loving and very kind and very approachable and open and vulnerable and not shame-inducing and not critical and not in any way emotionally abusive, and they don't know what to do with it <laughs> because they've never experienced anything like that in their lives before. And it's just like it makes them very uncomfortable and they find themselves barking back at this person or rejecting their uh, their advances to be loving or, uh, or just dismissing them or, you know, wanting to not spend time with them because they're so uncomfortable with the idea of something that different. Now, so what that has happened is they have entered a turf they have never walked before. They are now experiencing a dynamic with an individual but it is so different from their families of origin that they just don't know how to handle it it's just so unfamiliar and so walking into that new territory is a new growth experience for them so it allows them to transform in fact everything in our lives is an opportunity to transform Uh, good intimate relationships help us grow more solid into who we are um, I certainly have changed as a result of my uh, uh, relationship and uh, have evolved because I feel secure and loved and appreciated for who I am and have evolved into a deeper, more um, more profound uh, relationship to myself because of that relationship. Uh, we, we can grow from the good stuff and we can grow from the bad stuff. And that's why... We have to stop calling it good stuff and bad stuff because it's all just transformative stuff. It's all just stuff that's meant to help us grow into who we are. Um, Looking at it from the perspective of good stuff and bad stuff means that we might miss the real stuff. (laughs) That the real stuff that is happening is uh, a deeper uh, relationship with our deepest authentic self where we come to not only know ourselves, but to we generate real authentic love for ourselves. And um, that's not the same as arrogance. I want to be clear about that. Arrogance is, is comes from the identity, not the authentic self. Arrogance is a way of coping with deep feelings of shame. It is not uh, authentic love for yourself. So authentic love generates feelings of anger sometimes because anger can say, I am here, I'm real, and I matter. Sometimes authentic love can generate feelings of fear. There's a Mack truck coming, and I need to get out of the road, or I need to go slower through this. I'm, I'm racing through it, and I need to slow down because I'm going to miss some things that I need to see. Um, you know, So fear can speak to us. Our emotions can actually speak to us from the authentic self. And so there are messages to us, for us, and about us. And when we listen to those messages, we begin to wake up to a deeper relationship with who we are. And, and that is what life is all about. We, we are here to discover who we are. Just like the divine, the, 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 uh, I love the old Hebrew name for, for, for God, Jehovah, which means um, to be, and it also means desire. So it's the deep desire to be who we are, to be that essence of who we are. And that, that, that's a really beautiful thought. So the divine within us, if we think of it that way, is always pushing us to come to know who we are because it has a deep desire, a deep intention to facilitate 
are becoming more and more aware of who we are. Uh, and that facilitation is through life events. Um, Carl Jung talks about it being affect. So the difficult feelings that arise, for example, uh, give us an opportunity to transform as because we have to react and respond to those feelings. And what we do with those feelings will, will be the difference in whether or not we, um, what he would call individuate, become more whole, become more aware of who we are. And that uh, those difficult feelings are some of our best friends, as you'll see in the book that uh, has just come out, Letting Go of Good, Dispel the Myth of Goodness to Find Your Genuine Self. That book talks a lot about this whole thing of sitting with our feelings and sitting with what uh, comes up within us. Um, so you can purchase that book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Books a Million or any of the uh, your brick-and-mortar book places. You can order it there as well. So... Um, yeah, so we've talked today about trusting the process, and we understand that we can become to trust that process. And I hope this show has enlightened us to the possibility and maybe facilitated the possibility that you can come to trust your own process and sort of settle down into it and surrender to it, knowing that it's going to carry you exactly where your authentic self wants you to go, which is into more and more of your authentic self. Okay, so that's all we have for today. And we're going to be back again next week, so be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll talk again next week 